And now, a message from Pastor Michael Carmody. Well, once again, I know you've already been greeted multiple times, but welcome. It's good to see you all. Give yourself a hand for being here this morning. Wow, that was pretty weak. All right. Also, welcome all of you online. Give yourselves a hand, too. (laughs) Very good. (laughs) Wow. So how's everybody? Good. You know, it's, I have to say it's a little bit different. I haven't preached in this church for like seven weeks, and so I feel a little, yeah, it'll be all right. Anyway, <laughs> um, so we were on vacation for a while, and we preached over in Tiffin and just kind of been here but not preaching. But anyway, it's good to be with you and be able to share the gospel with you. And I want to just mention real quickly before I get started this morning that um, uh, with today's message, there's, uh, if you go to our Bible, our, our, our uh, church app, <laughs> I'll get there. If you go to the church app, New Covenant Christian Church app for your smartphone, you can go on there. And uh, I put on there some uh, review of this message, but also some questions that you can answer that would kind of like dig in a little bit, something that you could do for, for the application of some of this material to your life and um, just for further growth, development, learning, uh, re- reminding yourself of some of this. So go to the church app and do that. You can also give through the church app if you want to do that. You can go on there. You can watch uh, archived messages, listen to archived messages in the church, and so there's a whole bunch of stuff on the church app. How many of you have the church app already downloaded on your smartphone? Good. How many of you are going to as soon as you get out of service today? Sweet. So you just go to the app store and uh, New Covenant FD and download that, and you can keep up with all the stuff that's going on here, okay? Sound good? So we are studying the book of Philippians. Great idea, studying the book of Philippians. Um, And the the church at Philippi, Philippi was a city in the area of Macedonia. The apostle Paul was sent there by the Holy Spirit to preach the gospel. And so um, Paul, the apostle, goes there, spends a great deal of time actually in the city of Philippi, establishing a church there. Some years later, Paul finds himself incarcerated in prison in Rome for preaching the gospel. And he writes a letter back to the the church at Philippi, back to his friends in the city of Philippi. And that's what we have in the book of Philippians. It's Paul's letter to a church that he started. uh, He considers himself the father of that body of believers in the the church in that city. Um, Paul preached the gospel at great risk to his own life. And um, he he comes in and and he writes this letter to them, and and he opens the letter up and just talks from his heart to the people there in the city of Philippi. And Pastor Josh, uh, we we did chapter one, we talked about good work, that God is doing a good work in us. How many of you believe that God has started a good work in you, yeah? So the point is he started a good work in us, right? And he wants to keep that good work going. That's the idea. Uh, So we talked about that from chapter one, then chapter two, um, we started talking about a humble life. Last week, Pastor Josh shared uh, from some of the early verses in um, uh, Philippians chapter 2 about a humble life. And specifically, Paul talked about the humility of Jesus. And that Jesus was so willing to humble himself, to come to earth from heaven, um, that he was willing to take on the form of a servant, that Jesus was not only willing to come to earth as a human, God coming in the form of a human, but he was willing to lay his life down. And Paul talks about that. He talks about the sacrifice that Christ made, and that he would lay his life down, that he would become obedient to the Father, even to the point of death. But it's interesting, as Paul's talking about that, and he talks about the humility of Christ, some of your 
any, anybody here thankful that Jesus humbled himself, became one of us, and laid his life down? I mean, you think about that. I don't, I don't know if we'll ever really be able to grasp exactly what that meant for, for Jesus to lay his life down and to sacrifice for us, but I'm so glad that he did it. I don't have to understand it. I just have to rejoice in it. And, um, you know, so he, he did that for us, and, and we're thankful for that. But it's incredible to me that Paul begins telling us about that sacrifice of Christ by saying this, let the same mind that was in Christ Jesus also be in you. Then he goes on and says, though he were God, he laid that aside, basically humbled himself, died on the cross. And he's saying, let that, that same humility that took Christ to the cross, let that same humility be down deep inside of us. Pa uh, Pastor Josh was saying, um, last week he was quoting C.S. Lewis, Clive Staples Lewis, a tremendous author from the late 1800s, early 1900s, wrote, wrote uh, a lot of fictional books and some theological books as well. And C.S. Lewis made this statement. He said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Um, and that's a great quote. It's a great line. I'm glad Pastor Josh used that last week. I want to tag into that a little bit. That's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus didn't think less of himself. When Jesus came to the earth, he didn't think of himself as some a worthless worm on the earth that should just die. He knew he was the son of God. He knew what, what, he was there in creation. He was the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. He knew who he was, and yet he was able and willing through humility to lay all of that aside, set all of that aside, and lay down his life, die a criminal's death, humiliated on a cross, the worst type of execution, the worst type of execution that the Romans could have done. The Babylonians actually started it, but the Romans really turned it into an art form. And this idea of crucifixion was not just to execute someone, it was to humiliate them, and it was to tell everybody around them, don't do what this person did. Jesus was crucified simply because he lived differently than the world around him and was accused of trying to take over the, the Roman throne, which was the exact thing he did not want to do. And so we have this sacrifice of Christ, and Paul says, let the same mind be in you. He wasn't thinking less of himself. He just wasn't thinking of himself. He was thinking of us. In fact, the scripture says that Jesus endured. Everybody say endured. He endured the cross. The cross was not pleasant. It wasn't a nice, padded, comfortable place. It was, it was torture. It was pain. It was humiliation. And he endured the cross, the Bible says, because of the joy that was set before him. The joy that was set before him, it was you and me, people, all humans, being able to finally be free from the bondage of sin and death. Us being able to have a free life and live free from the bondages that try to hold us and keep us from expressing everything that God intends us to be. And so he willingly, he endured the cross willingly, laid down his life because of the joy that was set before him. He wasn't thinking less of himself. He knew who he was. He even prayed and struggled with the Father, God, if there's any other way that this could pass for me, if there's some other cup I could drink, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He and the Father were one, and he knew that. He didn't think less of himself. He just thought of himself less. He said, I'm going to die for all of the people in this world because they need salvation. They need to be forgiven. They need a new life. Life needs to be changed. And so he did that. That's exactly what Jesus did. Though he was the Son of God, he thought of us. He laid aside his sonship. He didn't think of that as something to be exploited. He laid down his life. He became obedient to death. He didn't think of himself as poor. He was rich, and yet he became poor so that we could become rich. It was an uneven exchange that God made, and we get the good end of the deal. I mean, we get Jesus. He gets us. You know what I'm saying? And yet when he sees us, you and I are not projects to be fixed. 
We are children to be loved. And God absolutely loves us, even though he's still working in our lives. He loves us just like we are. I used to like to say this. God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you like that. Right? So he's constantly working within us. And so we come through uh, the first part of Philippians chapter 2, where Paul's talking about this humility of Christ. And Paul himself actually humbled himself. And let me just kind of, in fact, let's just read uh, Philippians chapter 2. Um, verses 12 through 18. Let, let me read that, and I, I believe we have it on the screen so you can kind of follow along, watch as I, as I read this to you from the New Revised Standard Version. Therefore, my beloved, that means people that I love. It's kind of a weird, you don't hear my beloved much anymore, but it's say, hey, folks, I love you, basically. Just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, check out this line, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without murmuring and arguing, so that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation in which you shine like stars in the world. It is by your holding fast to the word of life that I can boast on the day of Christ that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out as a libation over the sacrifice and the offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. For in the same way, you also must be glad and rejoice with me. So this is my text today. I typically take about a half, a half an hour per verse. Um, so you can figure out how long this will take today. <laughs> Just kidding. Anyway, um, I wanted to start at the end of this passage. And I'm going to, I kind of call this preaching backward to start at the end, work my way up. Uh, but I want to start at the very end of this passage, verses 17 and 18, because these verses actually lay the foundation um, for what, what is being said here. So let me just read these verses. It says, and if my, uh, this is from, uh, let me do the New Revised Standard first. So, uh, but if I am being poured out as a libation over the sacrifice and the offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. In the same way, you also must be glad and rejoice with me. So Paul, in his characteristic humility, imitating Jesus, is literally saying, I'm putting your needs above my own, and literally saying, I'm willing to die on your behalf. In fact, when we read it in the Living Bible, it says a little more clearly, check this out in the Living Bible, and if my lifeblood is, so to speak, to be poured out over your faith, which I am offering up to God as a sacrifice, that is, if I am to die for you, even then I will be glad and will share my joy with each of you. For you should be happy about this too and rejoice with me for having this privilege of dying for you. It's pretty incredible, really. Paul writes to Philippi, the church at Philippi and he writes to them about his willingness to die on their behalf. He has such a strong sense of community with these people that he spent time with. He came into their city, presented them with a, a, a teaching, a message about a Savior who loved them and could change their life. And we read in the book of Acts about the, the things that transpired there in Philippi and the people that came to Christ and how that he stayed there for a while and taught them and worked with them and now finds himself in prison. He writes back to those friends and he said, even if I were to die for you, even if I were to die so that you could know the gospel, I would consider that a joy. You know, it's pretty rare today to find somebody who would say, you know what, I'd be willing to die for you so that you could know the gospel. 
But it's what missionaries do. It's what people who lay their life down and go, not just to necessarily go to places, but are willing to just lay down their lives for people who need to know God. That's what Paul did. And he writes back to them. And in fact, he's, he's writing this. This is the, the fifth time now in this, in this letter. So what we have in the book of Philippi, or the book of Philippians, is Paul writing a letter to his friends in the city of Philippi. He's in prison. Um, and he is facing sudden death, and, or certain death. In fact, um, he does die. <laughs> certain and sudden are different. Certain death. He knows he's going to die. It's already been established. Paul is, Paul's life's going to come to an end. He's incarcerated for preaching the gospel. And he, he dies somewhere between 18 and 24 months after he writes this letter. Um, but he doesn't know exactly when it is. He just knows that he is going to die. And he basically says, you know what? I know I'm incarcerated. I know I'm going to die. The whole reason is because I've been preaching the gospel. I am going to die because I gave you the privilege of hearing the gospel. And he said, and it is a joy to do it. And then he twists this thing around and says, you know what? You ought to even just rejoice with me that I get to do this because I've been able to present the gospel to you and I am willing to lay my life down. I mean, that's a friend. That's somebody who really loves. Are you with me? This is about the fifth time. In fact, it is the fifth time in this beginning of this letter. You know, when Paul wrote this letter, he didn't write it out in chapters and verses. He just wrote a letter. And later, when the book was canonized or when it was, went through a process of, uh, of being identified in chapters and verses so that as we read it, we can identify different parts of the letter. And all the books of the Bible are really just that. They are letters or journals that were written. And then there are the chapters and verses were added later so we could find stuff. So Paul's writing this in the first about 20-25% of this letter. He mentions his incarceration, incarceration, his impending death five times. So this is something that's really on his mind. But the whole point of it is, I'm here because I love you. I'm willing to die because I love you. Paul is following that same humility that was in Christ, that Jesus was willing to lay his life down to save us. Paul picks up that same mantle and says, I'm willing to, I'm willing to sacrifice my entire life so that you Philippians can know Jesus. He has that kind of love for them, that kind of compassion for them. And yet he tells us, "Have let this same mind be in you that was in Christ. And so in a way, he's giving us an example that we can all follow as well, that we love people enough that we would do anything for them so that they would know the gospel. So his life is being spent, his life is being crushed so that his readers could know Christ. And that was a joy to him. He was anxious to share that joy with them. Um, you know, we, we talked about this in the, in the first chapter a little bit about when Paul first opened this letter, he kind of addresses this idea of his love for the people at Philippi. And let's just remind ourselves of that in chapter, eight, uh, chapter 1 and verse 8, the God's Word translation. It says this, Paul says, God is my witness that with all the compassion of Christ Jesus, I long to see every one of you. So he's incarcerated far away from Philippi. He says, but I still have you in my heart and my mind. I would love to see you. In the Message Bible, he says this, God knows how much I love and miss you these days. Sometimes I think I feel as strongly about you as Christ does. So just like Jesus was willing to die for them, Paul is saying, I'm willing to lay down my life for you as well. So his humility is demonstrated in his deep love for the believers. Paul personified what fellowship, commitment, and humility really is. Not thinking less of himself. He knew he was an apostle. There were times he says, you know, I shouldn't even be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. But he knows who he is. He knows what his place is, but he doesn't think less of himself. He just thinks of himself less and starts thinking of other people, and suddenly the world begins to change. Philippi is a different city because a group of people listened to Paul preach the gospel, believed what he said, made a commitment to Christ, and light came into that city for the first time ever. Right. Paul knows that his life is making 
a difference. So let's get into these verses. We're going to start in chapter 2, verse 12. Kind of did the bottom ones first, right? It's kind of a, an intro. So I've, introdu- I've introduced the, the message. Now I'm going to start preaching. All right? Verse 12. He says this, Therefore, my beloved... Just as you've always obeyed me, not only in my presence, much more now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So I want to address this portion of this passage where it says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for just a moment. Paul gives them a long distance assignment from prison. He says, I have something I want you to do, Philippians. I want you to work out your own salvation. I want you to obey me. And when I was there, you listened to me. You listened to the gospel I was preaching. You followed those teachings. And now that I'm absent, I want you to continue to listen to what I tell you. And I want to give you an assignment. And here's what I want you to do. Paul says, I want you to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's kind of interesting in that first, what we have is in the first chapter where in verse 6 he says that God is at, at work in you. God is doing a good work in your life. Everybody say good work. What's God doing in you? Good work. He started a good work in you, right? Now he comes along and says, I want you to work out your own salvation. Now that God's, God's working in you, work with him. Let this salvation, this part of you, begin to work out through your life. Paul gives them this assignment. Doesn't mean He's not saying that somehow we can create our own salvation. He's not saying that we can do enough good things to be saved. I'm going to go a little further. He's not even saying that we can believe enough correct things to be saved. He's not saying that we can work out, that we can actually create our own salvation. He's not saying that we can make some kind of a sacrifice that would get God's attention that he would save us. God, I'm going to do this for you, and if I do this for you, maybe you'll save me. You know, I've, I've heard stories of people who really believed and taught that, you know, they're going to have to crawl every inch of the way to heaven on their hands and knees to show God how serious they are about sacrificing for him. God is not looking for that kind of foolishness. He's not looking for our works to somehow save us, be good enough. It's not what he wants. That's not what it means to work out our own salvation. We cannot save ourselves. Nothing we can do can save us. Nothing we can do can make Jesus love us more or less. He loves us and he saves us because his, his desire to do so, right? So what does he mean when he says, you know, work out your own salvation? Well, nowhere did Jesus ever tell us that we have to be perfect. There is no requirement for our lives to be perfect before we can be saved. He saves us and then that salvation inside of us works out through us and our lives begin to change. So what he's really saying is, now that you've come to Christ, now that Christ is in you, let him work in you. This good work that he started, let him continue to work that. Let him continue to create change in you. I can tell you this, after 39 years of being a Christian, I realize I still need change. Things still have to change. Every day, God wants to work things out in my life. I need to work out my own salvation. I can't save myself, but I can let his love and his salvation in me work through me. Y'all with me on that? So what does it, re- what's it really mean? What's he really saying? He's saying that we should continue to grow and to change and to develop into the person God wants us to be. Don't lose our focus. It's really easy to lose our focus. Get our focus off of God and the good work that he's doing and how, how much he loves us, how much he's done for us, how much he wants to do for us. And start looking at the circumstances and conditions in life. Well, if God's for me, then why this? If God's for me, why that? Anybody know what I'm talking about? If God's really with me, why isn't this better than it is? It's because our entire life in this entire world is a work in progress and God is working in us every day. You know, we're never going to come to that place of absolute perfection, but we have to not let our hearts drift away from God just because things aren't perfect in our lives. 
in the Message Bible, that 12th verse says this. What I'm getting at, friends, is that you should simply keep on doing what you've done from the beginning. When I was living among you, you lived in responsive obedience. Now that I'm separated from you, keep it up. Better yet, redouble your efforts. I love this. Be energetic. Everybody say, be energetic. Yes. Now say energetic with some energy. Be energetic. Yes. You know what? The Holy Spirit inside of us energizes us, doesn't he? We're just like a little energizer bunny, not because we have Duracells in us, but because Jesus is in us. He energizes our lives. That's right. That's right. <laughs> My brother. Be energetic in your life of salvation. Our salvation ought to excite us, ought to put some energy in us. Yeah. Man, I worked up a sweat in worship today. I like working up a sweat in worship. I sweat anyway, but I want to work, I want to work up a sweat for Jesus. Let's, let's be energetic. Here's, here's energetic worship. I'm just messing with you. You like to worship and sing and dance and jump around, don't you? Be energetic in your life of salvation. Be reverent and sensitive before God. Be reverent and sensitive. I love that. Have a deep respect. For God, listen carefully. That, that word which says be sensitive before God, I looked that up and it means quick to detect or respond to slight changes, signals, or influences. So just the slightest little nudge from God would be like, I heard that. I need to stop doing that. I need to make a difference. I need to make a change there. I can make a change in that. God help me make that change. And sometimes he gives us just those little nudges. I've caught myself saying things right in the middle of the sentence, just like, you're so stupid. What do you, just stop saying that, you know? I had somebody come to me one time, they had a real problem with lying, and I said, you know the best way to stop lying is the next time you find yourself lying to somebody, stop mid-sentence and say, you know what, time out a minute, I'm lying to you right now. Um, let me just start over and tell you the truth. Seriously, you, you do that a few times, and you talk about humility, you know? Suddenly you're like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to have to do that anymore. That would be a little embarrassing, right? But he says this, be energetic in your life of salvation, reverent, sensitive before God. That's what it means to work out your salvation. Let this life that's in you live through you. Let what's in you become part of your everyday life. Living Bible says it this way. Dearest friends, when I was there with you, you were always so careful to, allow, to follow my instructions. <clears throat> and now that I'm away, you must be even more careful to do the good things that result from being saved. Obeying God with deep reverence, shrinking back from all that might displease him. <clears throat> so that, let this, basically let this salvation continually create good work within you. Change this, right? Um, 13th verse says this, For God is at work in you. For it is God who is at work in you, enabling you to both will and to work for his good pleasure. God started a good work in you. And he's still working in you to create his pleasure in your life. And I love this. It says that he's working in you, enabling you both to will and to work. So he gives us the desire for his will, and he gives us the ability to do his will. It's those little nudges that keeps us on course. It's those little nudges from the Holy Spirit that keep us centered. They said, don't, don't do that. Don't, don't keep, just stop acting like that. Stop saying that. It's not that we're working out our salvation in the sense of if I do that, somehow I'm going to be saved. I'm already saved. Now that I'm saved, now that Christ is in me, now that heaven is my home and I'm a new creation forgiven and replaced the old nature with a new nature, now I need to live that new nature out by listening to the leading and the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit. Follow what he teaches me to do. He says he, he's giving you this ability to, to please him. God's at work in you right now. Do you believe me? Yes. Do you believe that God's at work in you right now? Yes. And he, he's at work in you for a purpose. He has a purpose in it. Again, back in chapter one, that good work. 
working out our own salvation is letting God do that good work in us. To let God finish in us the good work that he started. We're never going to be completely finished in this life. As long as I tote this carcass around with me, I will still be in the process of being finished, right? Never going to come to the point and say, wow, I'm done. But here's the thing. We should learn and change and develop in our Christian life. And even though God may not have a fully a full finish for us in this life, he does have a full finish for me today. There's certain things that God wants me to grasp today. At the end of my day today, there's some things he would want me to learn or to grow or to change in. So that when I start off tomorrow, I'm not the same person that I was when I started off today. You all with me on this? It might just be some little readjusting, some little tweaking, some little thing that God wants to adjust in my life, some way of thinking, acting, whatever. Maybe just some of my prejudices, whatever. He wants to deal with something so that when I get up tomorrow morning, I'm thinking differently than I was when I got up this morning. That's God finishing me today. And I get up tomorrow, and he wants to finish something in me again. In every moment of our lives, God is there, and he's at work teaching us and helping us learn and grow. Are you with me? And that is his good pleasure. Look at verse 14 with me. It says, do all things without murmuring and arguing. Yeah, I should read it again. Uh, do all things without murmuring and arguing. Do all things without murmuring and arguing. Sometimes when God's working in our lives, And an easy way to kind of disconnect from what God's trying to do in our lives is start looking at all the stuff that's wrong around us and start murmuring and complaining and arguing about the stuff around us. Because here's the thing, if I'm real busy being righteous about all the unrighteous things around me, then I can get by with a whole lot of not adjusting to the stuff that God's trying to move inside of me. You get what I'm saying? But that's not really what God's after. He's not after us correcting the world around us. He's after us letting his light inside of us shine to the point where the world around us will begin to change. You listen to what I'm saying here? So avoid. Do all things without murmuring and arguing. Avoid murmuring and arguing because grumbling and complaining hinders the work of the Holy Spirit. These things are not from God. He does not give you a righteous indignation against everything that's wrong in the world. That is your carnal mind trying to find a way to fight back against the idea of not surrendering to what God wants to do inside of us. You might want to get that online and listen to that again because I don't think I can say it again. Anyway, verse 15. Let's go over to verse 15. And we have to back up 15 with 14. So let me read 14 again. Do all things without murmuring and arguing so that you may be blameless and innocent. Title of my message today, blameless and innocent. Who am I talking about? I'm talking about you. You are blameless and innocent. It wasn't a trick question. So that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation in which you shine like stars in the world. Let's follow this thing now. He says, here's the deal, folks. My good Philippian friends for whom I am about to give my life. If you, if you stop mumbling, murmuring, and complaining, arguing. What was the word? Murmuring. Thanks. Murmuring and, um, and, and arguing. You will become blameless and innocent acting like children of God in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation and you'll begin to shine like lights. That sounds pretty good. It really does sound pretty good. Let's talk about this. Let's focus. The focus of this passage is not on the crooked and perverse generation. But let's talk about that for a moment and set it aside, shall we? So there is a crooked and perverse generation. There was in Paul's day. The word crooked simply means warped. Something that's not quite right. Get me? And then, and then that, that idea of, 
uh, crooked, is warped, perverse, is distorted or corrupt. So in Paul's day, the world was warped, distorted, and corrupted. Yes? So if the world was like that in Paul's day, in our day, the world is even more warped. Right? It's, I, better. It's warper. Warpter. Right? Um, if it was distorted in his day, it's distorted or now. Right? If it was corrupt in his time, it's corrupt or more. The whole, the whole idea of this is, I mean, seriously, the world's not, it's not like the world, man, I wish I could have lived back in the apostles. The world was so wonderful. They had the same problems we have now. They just didn't tweet and go on Facebook about them. They had the very same problems. They just couldn't social mediaize them as quickly. <laughs> I can say that if I want to. Anyway, so, so they, uh, the problems are the same. So, no, no, it's much worse than our generation. Only because you're alive and you're living here. If you're living in Paul's day, you say, oh, it's so much worse than in 2018. We could look at this and say, you know, this is probably the worst it's ever going to be. You know, here's the point. The, the focus of this with Paul is not the corrupt generation. It's not the perverse generation. He says, yes, you live in a broken world. But while you're in this broken world, stop murmuring and complaining and arguing with the broken world and everything you see wrong in it. And instead, let this work that God's doing in you create in you this idea of being blameless. I love this, this idea of blameless and innocent. Blameless meaning faultless and innocent meaning unmixed. So you're faultless and unmixed. Just let Christ work in you and he will, when, when he looks at us, we, know, we see our faults, he sees us faultless. We see the mixture of our carnality and our spirituality. He looks at us and he sees Jesus' love that sets us free from all the junk of our lives and our world. Yes, we live in a crooked and perverse generation, and that generation tries to influence us. That generation tries to warp us and pull us into corruption and into distortion right along with it. And if we don't let this light and this love of Christ live through us, we will find ourselves getting sucked into the ways of the world and not even realize it's happening. But if we let Christ work in our life and work out our own salvation, suddenly, he said, we'll be like children of God without blemish. And yes, we're in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, but while we're there, we're shining like stars in this world. Where do, where do you see the stars shining the brightest at? In a dark sky, right? Where do Christians shine their best at? In a broken, perverse, crooked, warped world where instead of arguing and complaining about the warpedness, we let the life and the love and the, and the beauty of Christ live through us and suddenly people see the light in us and they're drawn to the light because they hate the darkness and things begin to change. That's how the world changes. By focusing on our salvation, on what Christ is doing in our lives. Everything begins to change. Jesus, Scripture says in John 3.16, God so loved the world that he sent his son. God loved this world. When God loved this world, what do you suppose the condition of this world was? It was crooked and perverse, and he loved it. So I love this, I love this world so much, I'm going to send my son. Jesus loved this world so much he went to the cross. John 3, 16, God so loved the world he sent his son. Whoever believes in him not perish have everlasting life. With me? God loved this world. Crooked and perverse as it is. And we know that, John 3, 16. We often don't quote John 3, 17, the very next verse. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And somehow his church has picked up the idea that we are here to condemn the world. And tell the world at every point where they're wrong and why they're wrong and argue and murmur and complain about every little thing and make sure we go onto the social media and let everybody know what we're upset about today because it's just our calling in life. Let everybody know what I'm upset about because everybody wants to know. 
Instead of letting the light of Christ shine through us and make a difference, because you don't expel darkness by pointing out the darkness, you expel the darkness by lighting a light. And so he puts light in us so that we can be light to a dark world and really, truly make a difference. If Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, why should we? How many of you do me a favor in here today? Do your pastor, associate pastor a favor. Anybody do me a favor? Wow. That's, all, that's it, seriously? Okay, fine. I'll, I'll take what I can get. All right, so those of you that said you'd do me a favor, here's the favor I'm going to ask you to do for me. Catch yourself murmuring, complaining, arguing with the world. And when you do, replace that immediately with appreciation and love for God and let his light shine in you so that you can make a difference. Are you all with me? This, this crooked and perverse generation, those who are in this world without Christ, this generation without Christ is loveless and hopeless and in darkness and death. And that's a horrible place to be. Which gives us the opportunity to be the love, to be the hope, to be the light, to be the life. The reason we tend to want to murmur and complain, argue with the world around us, is because it takes the attention off of what God's trying to do in us. It's a whole lot easier for me to point at something else and say that's wrong than it is to let Jesus change something inside of me that's also crooked and perverse and just needs to be changed. Y'all with me in here? It's the last verse that I'm going to share with you is verse 16. It's by holding fast to the word of life that I can boast on the day of Christ that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Paul's looking ahead here as a visionary. He glances into the future and he says, someday I'm going to stand before Jesus. And if you'll do this, if you'll, he said, you, if you Philippians will do this, if you'll get a hold of the word, that word will put this light in you. This word will keep you from murmuring and complaining and arguing. This word will keep you on the high road when everything else around you is falling and you will be able to bring light to a dark world. And I, Paul, will be able to stand before Christ and say, I didn't labor in vain, I didn't run in vain. Look at these Philippians. They're living for Jesus, they're loving Jesus, they're not cursing the world that you love. Imagine God's people cursing the world that he loves. Do me a favor, let's stop doing that. Y'all with me? And so he says this, you know, if you, if you hold on to the word, get a hold of the word, and it will make a difference. In his joy, in Paul's joy, in Paul's humility, it was not just that he would finish strong, but he wanted the saints and the bishops and the believers and the, and the deacons in, in, uh, in Philippi to finish strong with him. Nobody wins till we all do. That was Paul's attitude. You know, with me? Two verses I want to share with you about this, about this word and the power of the word. The first one is James 1.21. Listen carefully while I read it. Therefore, rid yourselves of all sordidness and rank growth of wickedness. Check it out. And welcome with meekness, or what's another word for meekness? Humility. Welcome with humility, the implanted word that has the power to save your souls. How am I going to work out my own salvation with fear and trembling? I've got to let the implanted word, the word that's been put in my heart, the word that's been planted in me, the word that became flesh and dwelt among us and now lives in me, let him connect with the word that's been written, the logos that's been given to us, and that connection between the two can create life. You all with me on that? Yeah. And then the last one I want to read is found in 2 Timothy 316, check it out. For all scripture is inspired by God and it's useful. This is useful. This is not just a book. This is useful. This is breathed by God. This is God-breathed material right here. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, 
for correction. Anybody need correcting from time to time? What about reproofing or readjusting from time to time? That's, the word does that. And for training in righteousness. Anybody besides me need some training in righteousness? So that the person who belongs to God, who's that? May be proficient, equipped for every good work. God started a good work in you. And it's his word in us that keeps that good work going and prepares us as his people for every good work because we're not consumed with pointing out what's wrong in the world. We're, we're consumed with letting Jesus change what needs to be adjusted in us so that we can bring his love to a broken world, a world that he loves, and see that world changed. For more information on New Covenant, contact us at 3318 Fifth Avenue South, Fort Dodge, Iowa. 50501 or you can call us at 515-955-6222